hello and thank you for joining us here on the Neutral Zone. I am Phil Milani, joined as always by my partner in crime, my trusty sidekick, really NZ Nation. You know what I like to say here. The best way to describe this guy is simply my everything. It's at Eric Delala. Phil, as always, it's a treat. It's a pleasure. This is the best hour of my week. Uh, me too. I couldn't agree anymore. Uh, and that's because we've got a great show in store for NZ Nation. We're going to be talking about rookies reporting to the training facility uh, as we record this on a Thursday. Players, uh, including quarterbacks too, uh, and some guys rehabbing, all reporting to UC Health Training Center this morning. Uh, it feels like football is getting a little bit closer. We'll talk about that for a little bit. And then uh, we'll start previewing some things in training camp, uh, including a, a look at the running back position and also maybe the competition of camp at left tackle. I'm excited, Phil. We're uh, supposedly getting close here to real practice, but it seems like we've got a few more days to dissect and discuss before we really get going. Yeah, it does seem like uh, there's a quite a – a few hurdles to get over and then uh, we can finally uh, start talking about some stuff on the field. But Eric, uh, why don't we just jump in here and talk about the rookies reporting this morning. Uh, at the time that we are recording this podcast, all of the Broncos draft class, except KJ Hamler has agreed to terms uh, to their rookie deals. Yeah, Phil. And, you know, at this time last week, no one had agreed to terms and I think people were concerned outraged, uh, Panic, scared, panicked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anxiety and, was high. Yeah. And, uh, things came together really quickly. I mean, Michael Ojemudi assigned to agreed to terms Tuesday, everybody else with the exception of Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler agreed to terms Wednesday. And then Jerry Judy agreed to terms Thursday morning. And so almost the entire class is now under contract. You're in good shape. Don't have to worry about it. Um, and w with everything else going on, Phil, that you do have to worry about, and including some still pending financial discussions between the league and the NFLPA. Um, they do have the testing situation. It seems pretty well figured out, but this is one less thing for the Broncos to worry about. And so uh, it was cool to see on, on Thursday morning, they got their first look at UC Health Training Center. We're used to these guys being there in April, you know, right after they're drafted and for the, you know, the first time three months later, they finally got that opportunity. Yeah. And for the first time they're meeting a lot of staff beside Jerry Judy, uh, elbow bump Greek, uh, you know, uh, Broncos, uh, director of, uh, what would you call sports it? medicine, sports medicine. Yeah. That's his official title. Well, we just know him as Greek. Um, but yeah, cool to see them get to meet the staff, check out the facility, see what the practice fields look like. But uh, they're still quite a ways off from uh, actually doing anything there. The players report their first day, they take a COVID test. Then they're supposed to self-quarantine self for 72 hours back at their homes. And then they take another test after a double negative test. Then they can enter the facility. And uh, from that point forward for two weeks, they'll be tested every single day. Yeah, and that was kind of one of the big sticking points there for a while was making sure that testing schedule was on uh, kind of par with what some of the other leagues were doing, making sure these guys can stay safe. And so, hey, you know, if they can find a way to do that without taking tests away from individual cities, and it sounds like they're partnering with a national testing center, um, you know, it's probably worth but I presume it's going to be a high cost to do that for all 32 teams and for an extended period of time this season. Yeah, I think that uh, Pro Football Talk reported $75 million, I think is what, the, what that'll cost the NFL because the NFL is going through a private lab. So it's not taking away tests from anybody uh, uh, in the public. This is a private company that they've hired to do these tests. So. Um, uh, what do you think about KJ Hamler, though, Eric? Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to sleep until he's uh, safe and sound. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't worry about it yet, Phil. I think once he's got, you know, once the vets get here and um, 
you start getting on the field. I feel like at that point, that's probably when you are a little concerned, but hey, it's still Thursday as we're recording this. It's possible he gets signed later today, uh, Friday. You know, I wouldn't worry about it yet. We have not seen any reports yet that have suggested that they're hung up on anything in particular. Um, and second round picks tend to be pretty easy generally. It's the third round picks where there's some, you know, some interesting contract language sometimes. And then the first round picks with some guarantees, but uh, you know, I would expect KJ Hamler to agree to terms relatively soon. And these things are pretty much uh, standard at this point with a lot of these draft picks, like uh, it's a overall pick and what position you play and boom, you sort of have the contract already uh, laid out there. Maybe there's a few fine points here or there, but you know, say for like Judy's contract, 15th overall wide receiver, boom, here's your contract. That's pretty much how it is. So uh, maybe there's some, you know, finer points here and there that uh, a specific player wants to get uh, put into their contract. But for the most part, it's pretty much set. Yeah, and it, it makes it easy enough. And that's why we saw nine out of these 10 get done in a span of 48 hours, essentially. Yeah. So hopefully uh, KJ Hamler gets uh, sent here to uh, figure out his uh, contract situation and then he can get tested. And then uh, meetings can get underway here. But Eric, it seems like for the first, uh, well, what about two or three weeks, the Broncos are, and all the other teams around the NFL are just going to be doing strength and conditioning. Yeah, it sounds like, Phil, there's going to be a ramp up where these first five days are just part of this testing protocol. Then it sounds like they're going to go into strength and conditioning um, physicals and that's going to go on for, you know, several days and then they'll gradually transition into on field work and walkthroughs in helmets. But, you know, I think the latest schedule I saw suggested it could be August 19th or 20th before they ever get in pads. Um, and so you're going to, you still have three full weeks before you go into game week preparation, but you know, not going to be a lot of wasted time there. You're going to have to ramp up quickly. They're going to have to take advantage of those practices because I'd imagine, Phil, even once you get to those that three-week padded practice time, you, you can't have padded practice every single day. I mean, part of the new CBA is that there are limits to how many you can have in a row. Um, so it'll be interesting. And, you know, there's two things you're going to have to get done here. One is that Jerry Judy, Drew Locke, Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant, they're going to have to learn the new offense and put it into practice, you know, or put it into uh, effect here on the practice field. That's one thing. The other thing that has to happen is, you know, reportedly we're going to enter camp with 80 guys. If you're on the bottom half of this roster, you're going to have to make every opportunity count practice rep wise, because there aren't going to be no, there are going to be no preseason games. And so if you're a Derek Tuska, whose whole job revolves around sacking a quarterback, how in practice do you show that you're a better option than Jeremiah Atachu or Malik Reed? I mean, that you're going to have to show something that I'm not, I'm not quite sure how you do that, Phil. Yeah. I think that uh, those padded practices are going to have an interesting look to them. I mean, in some way, the coaching staff and the personnel department are going to have to be able to evaluate these guys. So maybe instead of uh, what we're used to seeing in training camp, which is uh just wrap up and then let them go, those type of things. I think you might see some more live period type of action um, where you're not obviously touching the quarterback, but maybe like you get there first or if you, you know, uh, beat your guy off the line or you show some explosiveness or something, that's a way that Tusk is going to be able to, uh, to show what he's made of. And I think that the Broncos are actually pretty high on Tuska. Uh, I would be more concerned if I was like a Tyree Cleveland or somebody like that, where you've got a really, you've got several guys in front of you that you're going to have to show that you could do something amazing. So um, yeah, it's going to be on Vic Fangio and the coaching staff to be able to figure out this schedule here in order to get a good interpretation of what this team might look like. I think that this is probably the best way to go about it though. If I'm being uh, honest here, just like, I think that, a slow ramp up is just a smart way to go about it so that players can get their soft tissue used to uh, working hard, at, you know, at this level 
you know, it's one thing to be working out on your own, how they've been all off season. Most of them haven't even been able to get into a gym, like an actual gym. They've just been working out in their garage or like at the park or something like that. I think that uh, just having the guys in the facility doing this type of work, I think is a a good slow ramp up. And then let's get after it uh, for three weeks out on the practice field. There's no joint practices. There's nothing like that. So you're not going to face anybody else. So, uh, you know, Vic Fangio and company, they'll have to organize this in such a way that, uh, one, the guys don't get sick of hitting on each other, but also, two, that they can get um, a, a good opportunity to evaluate some talent. I think a camp fight probably violates whatever social distancing policies are in effect. So those probably just won't happen, I would think. Uh, they, I, you'd be like, whoa, man, back off. Yeah, stay then, six feet away from me. Exactly. Um, no, I mean, I think the one other thing with the, a Tyree Cleveland or a Derek Tuska, when you have OTAs, you know, Pat Shermer has had the opportunity to see what Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton look like together on the field or what different packages look like. I think they're going to be trying to make up for misreps so much that it, it might not just be a matter of, like, hey, can Tyree Cleveland prove something? But, you know, hey, is he getting the normal, the normal amount of reps that he would get in a regular training camp? I wouldn't be surprised no if way. they kind of load, you know, if starters are taking 20, 25, 50% more reps. And, you know, that's all just a guess, but they've missed so much that I would expect the workload will be heavier for those guys, which then obviously trickles down the farther you go to, hey, does that mean KJ Hamler gets fewer reps early on? Does that mean that, uh, you know, then Tyree Cleveland gets fewer reps, which means, does a guy like Jawan Winfrey or Kelvin McKnight or Trinity Benson, where do they, like, do they get any during certain practices? I mean, that's, that's how it is once you get to game week. And it really wouldn't surprise me if that sort of approach happens sooner rather than later. Yeah. Because I mean, the ultimate goal here is to get ready to beat the Titans, you know? So uh, they, they just really need to focus on being able to do that. You remember the Titans, Eric, the tennis, the Tennessee football team. The Tennessee football team, TFT. Exactly. We're the Denver football team. Yes, exactly. Uh, but yeah, and and they're all going to be trying to learn a new offense. But one thing that's going to be an advantage for a guy like, say, like Deshaun Hamilton is that they've just been around football longer. You know, their, their overall football IQ just generally is probably higher than a guy who's played three years of college football. So, like, uh, while they're all going to be learning this new offense, just in general, their football IQ is going to be ahead of some of these rookies who are looking to prove themselves. So one way that you'll be able to get more reps is if you know what you're doing mentally. You know, one thing that coaches hate is when you actually get onto the practice field, if you don't know what you're doing, you're not going to get reps. So take care of stuff in the classroom first. Learn the offense. Know what you're doing in practice. And then once you actually get your opportunity, make sure you make the most of it. And uh, I think that any guy who's ever made the the roster from the from the bottom end of the depth chart will tell you that. Know what you're doing, and then whenever you do have the opportunity, make sure you make the most of it. And, uh, coaches will recognize that. So especially here in Denver, where there's a long line, a lot of uh, tradition of finding a college free agent who eventually makes the 53. The Broncos are known for, it doesn't matter where you are drafted. If you can play football, you'll play football and the Broncos will like, give you that opportunity. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. You know, you can't, this is, you always hear coaches talk about don't waste a rep, take those mental reps, make sure you're, uh, soaking everything in and taking advantage this season that you, you're going to have to do that more than ever. And it doesn't stop when you leave the practice field, you know, all these meetings, it sounds like are going to be done virtually. If you're tuning out your coach after practice, cause you're at home and you're on your laptop, I mean, you're not going to be ready for the season. Hopefully uh, Drew Locke's iPad, iPod, whatever he, he used to uh, play back the calls and, uh, and do them in front of the mirror while he was bunking up with Dalton Reisner last year. Hopefully that thing's fully charged and ready to go. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Hopefully uh, got some good electricity, able to charge it up 
it was just ready to go. I assume a second year queue has a house with electricity. Yeah. Don't worry about the queue. I'm not worried about the queue. The queue was back at UCL Training Center on Thursday. Yes. Uh, what did you think about his hair? Uh, you know, I think good off-season hair. It's going to need a little bit of work before we get into regular season form. But yes. That's part but of the uh, strength and conditioning. I mean, strength I mean, is lifting weights. Conditioning is, I'm talking about hair. Right. Yeah, exactly. Strength, shampooing, and conditioning. That's really the... <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I mean, hey, the uh, the Joe Flacco era in Denver was not all that successful. I think the team went two and six with him as a starter. But his hair was tremendous. And I do think Drew Locke... Drew Locke has still, he's still got a little ways to go before he gets to Joe Flacco hair. So, yeah, because, you know, one thing that we've talked about quite extensively here on the neutral zone is being able to have that nice flow when you take the helmet off. Right. You know, we've talked about that a lot. Now there's a new element introduced and it's the mask. So you've got to be able to, uh, you got to have, you got to incorporate that because that's part of the look now. Right. So how does your hair go with the mask? Right. I think, you know, I'm excited for uh, Monday when the vets are supposed to report because sometimes, I don't know how it'll be this year, but these guys come in, they like pick their outfits out. It's like the first day of school. It is. I suspect you're going to see some guys who've got their masks color coordinated with their outfits. And I'm kind of excited to see that. For sure. For sure. Uh, I know one of the rules is the mask has to match the shoes. Exactly. That's an important thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody like somebody's gonna have a Gucci mask on. Oh I'm of course. Positive. Of course. Corlin Sutton, most definitely. That's your pick. I think Vaughn. I think Vaughn will have a nice I mask. forgot what, should... what the name of it was, but Sutton was working out in a really expensive t shirt. <laughs> and some of his teammates were making fun of him saying, Hey, you wear that to work out? Come on. <laughs> That's how you know you got a lot of money. Exactly. Exactly. Somebody should show up in like a Bane mask. That could be nice. Well, you know, nobody cared about Bane before he put on a mask. Exactly. Right. Um, Eric, one last thing to talk about here is Ricky's report. You mentioned that there's some uh, financial stuff that the NFL is still working out. Uh, as we record this on Thursday afternoon, what are some of the sticking points there? What are the owners trying to get uh, negotiated with the uh, Players Association? Yeah, I think the main thing is the salary cap because you're expecting a loss of revenue this year because of uh, no fans being in attendance. I'm not sure what the exact number is. I would assume it's somewhere around 30, 40 percent, perhaps even a little higher, but, you know, a substantial amount of money. And so that's all built into the salary cap and the owners don't want that to extend over the next several years. You know, it sounds like they would prefer the players or, you know, the players and the owners to take that hit over the next two seasons or, you know, maybe even just this season uh, so that this is not a long lasting impact. And it sounds like the players would prefer to have whatever hit there is spread out over the next eight, nine, 10 years, which obviously uh, who knows what's coming in the future. Who knows how long this thing's last? Uh, I think maybe there's a little more, you know, there are pros and cons, I think to both sides, but, one of the interesting things, Phil, is that if the salary cap this year is impacted solely and it shrinks down, apparently you could see a lot of veterans get cut who have you know high salaries that wouldn't be guaranteed before the season's uh, beginning. And so, you know, we've seen that in Denver a few times over the years where you know a, a TJ Ward gets cut before camp starts, and you know it's possible that you see some of those type moves around the league, depending on how the financial situation works here. Apparently the NFL has said, if we don't get this worked out, we're going to put training camp on pause and send people home. I think that that's a little unlikely, you know, you've agreed to daily testing. You've agreed to cancel the preseason. You've kind of come all this way on a lot of things. And it seems like there's one final hurdle. I would guess something gets done. Yeah, I would. I mean, there's too much money on the line to not be able to uh, sort of figure out a way to get this thing organized and off the ground and 
I think that uh, one interesting thing just on my own here and thinking about it is, say you've got a guy like Von Miller who's got a lot of guaranteed money in his contract. If they play one game, that money becomes guaranteed for the season. If, uh, say, they have to pause things or maybe something gets something happens down the line, just hypothetically here, where they're not able to finish the season, they've got to figure out all these things and make sure that, uh, you know, uh, contract-wise, financially, everybody's on the same page because, uh, you know, if you start the season and then some for some reason there has to be a stoppage, you got to figure out what's going on with these contracts. Yeah, and I would say it's, you know, we've seen some reports that NFL players maybe would prefer if the season gets pushed back to October. I think it's probably in the best interest of the league to stick to this September opening so that you can, because who knows what's going to happen in November or December. You know, Phil, we've been in NFL locker rooms a lot. We've been on the field. Um, forget about August and September and October. When it gets cold and guys have other, you know, runny noses, whatever else, you know, normal cold weather stuff, guys are hacking in the locker room, they're coughing. I mean, that's that's the sort of thing that I think the more games you can get out of the way early is probably in the best interest in the NFL because you think you'd want to, you know, worst case scenario, and you have to shorten the season, you'd think you'd want to get in eight games, ten games, so you can say, hey, these are the teams that are going to be in the playoffs, and then even if you need a short little break, you know, say the you know, say you have to pause for a month or two and come back in February. You know, you'd like to at least you don't want to do that after two regular season games. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, these are all hypothetical situations, but I think that there needs to be some contingency thought given to uh, different situations that might happen. I mean, uh, we've heard a lot of encouraging news about a vaccine, possibly, but uh, I, I don't think that you could just bank on that and say let's push things back until there's more developments there and it's safer. I think that uh, the steps that the NFL has taken with testing has been really positive. Eric, I was there uh, last week. I got to see how things are going to go for a player. You know, when they walk in through the front door, they have to do a temperature check. They uh, put their cell phone and their keys and their possessions into the sterilizer. And then they have to wear this uh, lanyard, and that, that uh, you know, recognizes who else they come into contact with. In case there is a positive test later on, you can go back through and contact trace. Um, they have a device where the players walk out of the locker room and it can recognize any sort of high temperatures and they'll stop that player from going out to practice. So they've put as, just about as good of measures as they possibly could right now into making this a safe environment and uh, you know, I think all that's left to do is just uh, see how this goes once the players return. And uh, ultimately, their safety is the most important thing. Everybody's safety is the most important thing. And uh, they've put as much protocol in place as they can. Let's see how this goes. Yeah, and I think that daily testing is probably the single biggest thing they've done. You know, the, the temperature check is great and filling out these questionnaires. But when you have daily testing even if you get a false negative one day, you're going to catch this probably no later than 24 hours or 48 hours after it first happens. And so I think you'll be able to hopefully rein things in if anybody does get sick. Um, and the benefits of daily testing that's being turned around relatively quickly compared to what we saw in baseball on Thursday where a guy got tested on Tuesday and they didn't get his positive result until Thursday and can't get more tests back until Friday. I mean, that's a that's too wide of a time frame that um, you know this guy Juan Soto was apparently working out with his teammates in between that test, and so hopefully these daily tests prevent that sort of outcome um, or minimize it to a big extent. And you know, Phil, I think we'll have a good sense of where things stand once reports start coming out, because I'm sure they'll come out of how many NFL players have returned and have COVID. Um, and then, you know, if you can make it through the first two or three weeks and show that there's a way to do this with all the contact that goes on, then, you know, then maybe there's a real chance that you're able to get through this. Yeah. I think that the first couple of weeks are going to be really crucial here. You've got guys coming from all over the country into town 
And so I think if you can get through the first couple of weeks here and, uh, you know, everybody is in a safe environment, I think then it's uh, taken upon the player themselves to say, look, I'm going to try and be as safe as possible. And uh, if they do that, then they can get through this thing. By testing every single day, not to get too into the weeds here, but say you get tested Monday morning in this situation, if later on Monday you got coronavirus, the next morning, Tuesday, you would get tested, and then you would get that result back on Wednesday. So really, the longest period of time there could, it could happen is within a 48-hour window where they would have to, one, contract coronavirus, get it to the point where then they could start spreading it, and then come into contact with people before this 48-hour window is, takes place because that's how fast they're getting results back. So um, that, that seems pretty safe. And throughout the day, temperature checks and all that stuff taking place so that the second somebody starts feeling weird, maybe they can just get uh, isolated and uh, minimize anything. So it seems about as safe as it's going to get, uh, especially for a football situation where a bubble is really unlikely. Yeah, just you can't do it just because of, and it's not even, Phil, it's not about how many people there are because I think you could find a way to put, you know, 100 people, 150 people per team in a bubble. I mean, I think you could do that. The issue is injuries happen at a much higher rate in football than they do anywhere else in any yeah, other sport. Yeah, you'd be bringing the guys in from off the street. Yeah, and so you'd almost need two bubbles, you know, <laughs> one of, pretend, like, hey, here's potential free agents that teams want to sign. But, yeah, I mean, if they – if injuries weren't a factor, you could even wait until you cut your roster down to 53 players and then take those guys to a bubble and have another 14 day quarantine and then go from there. But it's just not, it doesn't work for football. I agree. So anyway, that's our look to at the, the start of uh, training camp here as rookies, quarterbacks, uh, rehabbing players all have made their way back to the facility and, uh, things progress here as we get closer to the start of actual training camp. But Eric, let's talk about the team, some football here a little bit. Um, and uh, there's going to be some competition that takes place, uh, not necessarily for guys who are looking to make the team just in general, but more of who's going to be a starter. And uh, one of those positions is that running back where the Broncos obviously brought in pro bowler Melvin Gordon to compete with Phil Lindsay. Yeah, Phil, and, you know, I think there's somewhat of a foregone conclusion that Melvin Gordon's going to start, but I wouldn't expect Philip Lindsay, based on what we know about him, to just give that up. You know, he wasn't expected to make the team in 2018 and then was starting halfway through the year, um, obviously made the Pro Bowl that season. Last year rushed for 1,000 yards again. Um, but I think having Melvin Gordon is going to make him better because – what we saw with Lindsay last year, I thought, was as he got more carries, you know, kind of bumped up 30, 40 more carries than the year before. Some of that explosiveness that he had was gone. He had fewer carries of more than 25 yards than he did the season before. Um, you know, he broke a couple late in the year. There's that one against Detroit. Uh, but, you know, Lindsay, even though he's a between the tackles runner, and I don't think that, you know, nationally there's this perception that he's like a, speed only guy that goes outside to tackle and catches the ball out of the backfield. That's not his game, but he does still need to be fresh enough that when he pops one of those, it can go for 60 yards instead of, you know, 20. And I think back to that Bengals game in 2018, where he just had a terrific game. He broke a long one of 60 or 70 yards. He just didn't make those plays last year. And so hopefully if Melvin Gordon can, uh, maybe he shoulders the bulk of the load and gets 60, 65, 70% of the carries. Uh, when Philip Lindsay is on the field, he should be better. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but I, so like, I think that Philip Lindsay, you know, when I saw him a couple of weeks ago, I asked him what he thought about this. He said, look, I'm not just going to give up that spot. He's going to have to come through me. And that's a hard thing to do. But in my mind, as an organization, when you go out and get a Pro Bowl running back that they're very familiar with, that came from a, a division rival, you're 
you said, look, we want this player and we're going to give him the ball. So I think that that's the intention there. Um, but we've seen Melvin Gordon. He's shared time with Austin Eckler there in, uh, in L.A. So he's used to not taking all of the carries. But I'd be surprised if uh, Melvin Gordon didn't get the majority of everything. We've seen his production the last three years decline slightly every year. But I think sometimes when you've got a player like Melvin Gordon who maybe necessarily wasn't the happiest in L.A., we saw him hold out at the start of last year, was looking for a new deal, didn't get that. Maybe this is an opportunity for Melvin to rejuvenate his career a little bit. And I'd be surprised if, uh, one, Gordon didn't get the majority of the carries, and two, if Gordon didn't return to his Pro Bowl status this year because I bet you he's going to come in, new surroundings, he's going to feel energized, and I think that uh, I think Melvin Gordon is going to be a Pro Bowl this year again. Well, you know, one thing I would say is that, you know, he's he hasn't had good luck staying healthy. And so as we talk about these guys ramping up with soft tissue injuries, you know, he's one of the guys that every day that the Broncos aren't in pads or are not going full speed. Maybe that helps him stay healthy for the season. And I, I would just be cautious with him because he is a good player. I mean, he's ran for eight touchdowns or more each of the last four years with only guy in the NFL who's done that. Um I, you know, I think anytime the Broncos are inside the 10 yard line, Melvin Gordon's going to be back there. You know, you think of that game against Green Bay last year where Dalton Reisner pulls Philip Lindsay into the end zone. I think that's the sort of situation where you give it to Melvin Gordon and he just, he finds his way in by himself. Uh, you know, he breaks more tackles than Philip Lindsay. He is better out of the backfield catching the ball. So that's, you know, Philip Lindsay is going to have to show immediately that he has improved that aspect of his game if he wants to play substantial a substantial role in Pat Shermer's offense. But, you know, I think it comes down to, Phil, peak Melvin Gordon, you know, 2017, 2018, that was a guy that when the Broncos played the Chargers, you thought to yourself, that guy can wreck this game. That guy can beat us by himself. You know, that that's the guy you're watching out for. Even when Philip Lindsay was in his Pro Bowl season, I don't know if teams felt the same way about him. And that's not to disrespect Philip Lindsay. I mean, what he's accomplished is really impressive. But it's just a, you know, Melvin Gordon's a different type of guy, I think. Yeah. And you're talking about a first round pick in Melvin Gordon, which is rare at the running back position. So, I mean, I don't want to knock Philip Lindsay, who is the only undrafted player to rush for back to back 1,000 yard seasons. So, Philip Lindsay to start his career. No, I think that's ever. I think it's to start the career. But we can we can fact mm. check. Where's Swanson when we need him? Yeah. Huh. Uh, maybe. I thought it was ever. Uh, but uh, I could be wrong there. Anyway, what I was going to say was, I think that if the Broncos were really happy with Philip Lindsay, like all in on him and said, look, this, is, this guy's our future. We're all in on him. One, he would have got a new deal this offseason, which was reported to have, you know, John Elway said that he was going to talk with Philip Lindsay's agent. That never happened. And two, they made it a priority to have their biggest free agent signing on the offensive side of the ball be at the running back position. So sometimes I think that when we think about things, we might overcomplicate it a little bit. And it's true that you need two running backs in the NFL. but. Simply put, instead of getting a new deal with Philip Lindsay, they went out and got a pro bowler at his position. So if you just look at things in that light, that tells you where the Broncos think of Melvin Gordon, just to be like, we need to go out and get a guy like this. Are you speaking ill of Graham Glasgow? That no. was a nice addition. I'm just saying you're talking about a pro bowl first round pick guy here at that. Yeah. I uh, just did some brief research. He's certainly not the only undrafted player. Um, this is uh, just back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons? Yeah. Uh, Priest Holmes, who you might be familiar with, um, he uh, ran for 1,400 yards in back-to-back-to-back seasons. Uh, hmm. Arian Foster has done it. He did it three times in a row. Um, I'm kind of looking through a list here. But, yeah, it's it's to start a career that he's the only Did you find that undrafted. in the dark web, maybe? Does Priest Holmes give you just like PTSD? 
Yeah, I don't like talking about that guy. Oh, yeah, to start his NFL career. Okay, hey, good point. You, It's a good thing that uh, we co-host this show because uh, you keep me in check. I do my best, Phil. That's good. But like I was saying, they met out and made Melvin Gordon uh, uh, an offer and brought him in here. And uh, I think that that tells you what they think about the running back position. Yeah. Just my thoughts there. But hey, you know, if it works, I I think Melvin Gordon could be as impactful as Jerry Judy or Noah Fant or you know any of these guys. I don't think it's a stretch that you could look back at the end of the season and say he was the most important offensive player besides Drew Locke. I mean, he has that type of potential if he's able to stay healthy. Yeah. And, you know, that's not to knock Philip Lindsay at all. And what, what that just means for Philip Lindsay is that when he does get his opportunity, he needs to make the most of those. You know, you said Melvin Gordon hasn't had a great history of staying healthy. Maybe if he misses a game here or there, Philip Lindsay makes the most of that, that chance. Or, you know, with Philip's speed, he, he catches something in the flat, takes it the distance, busts through the line, takes it the distance. You know, those are the type of plays that he's going to have to make to uh, have a big impact this season. The Broncos, Phil, are one of uh, three teams now with two current pro bowlers in their backfield. Can you name the other two? Mm. Backfield meaning just running back position? Yeah, two running backs with a, with a pro bowl in their uh, history. Uh, the Ravens? Is that a correct guess? Um, just keep thinking. I'm trying to find the answer. Oh, okay. That's that was a problem. Okay. This is this is like one of those Affleck trivia questions. Not a sponsor, but um, where you think of it, and we'll come back to it later in the show. Oh, I like a tease, a trivia yeah. question. Yeah, um, yeah. I would say the Ravens seem like a, an option to me. I'm trying to think of another team that really has a loaded up backfield. Uh, at the running back position, um, maybe somebody in the NFC. Um, definitely not the Cowboys. They just have Ezekiel Elliott. Um, the 49ers, maybe? I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll return with the answer in just a little bit. Got it. Okay, well, anyway, that's one position uh, that we uh, are expecting a big competition at training camp. The other, of course, at left tackle and uh, Eric, we know that uh, Garrett Bowles has started his entire career at left tackle. I don't believe he's missed any games. He's very dependable at that position. Uh, We saw him improve his game toward the end of last season. And uh, we also saw the Broncos not go out and sign a free agent at his position. Rather, they just said, look, we like Elijah Wilkinson. He can swing. Elijah Wilkinson can play right tackle like he did last season, right guard, which he has in the past. And they're also going to see if he can beat Garrett Bowles at left tackle. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is a nice storyline. I think it's a fun little thing to chat about, to, to offer our opinions on as we're in late July. But Garrett Bowles is going to start at left tackle. And I, I, have, agree. I agree. I have little to no doubt that that's going to happen. I think that it's been an interesting offseason for Bulls because he didn't see his option get picked up. So that would tend to make you think that they're not super happy with Bulls. And publicly, they've said that he's going to compete with Elijah Wilkinson. So you wouldn't think that that um, indicates a lot of confidence. But at the same time, like I just said, they didn't go out and get a Jason Peters. They didn't make a trade for Trent Williams when uh, he was obviously on the market. Now uh, moving from Washington to San Francisco, you thought maybe the Broncos would be in play there. But John said that they didn't even look around the draft uh, to make a deal there. So um, I think that they are taking the approach of let's see what one more season looks like for Bulls. And then we'll uh, proceed there. If he plays well, maybe they can work out a deal and uh, and have him stick around. Because Bowles obviously has not been the luckiest in terms of he's been through a lot of offensive coordinators. I believe he's had a new offensive line coach every single season that he's been in, in the NFL. So 
this year he's finally going to have some consistency there in terms of Munchek being there. And uh, I think that when you're blocking for the same quarterback behind you, which Bowles has not done, that also helps you because not only cadence of getting off the line and knowing what the count is going to be like, but also just understanding the type of player the quarterback is, you know, having a feel for, okay, I know what the clock says in my head. I bet you that Drew is scrambling out here and now, or he's doing this or, you know, that type of thing. I think those types of things are only going to help goals get better. Yeah. And to start with Drew there, I mean, when Drew was at quarterback, the Broncos gave up one sack a game, which, you know, you've got to extrapolate a little bit for that to go, obviously for the entire season, but that would have been the best mark in the entire NFL, you know, if they kept that going. Uh, and then <clears throat> over the rest of the year, like when Joe Flacco was back there, when Brandon Allen was back there, they allowed three, more than three sacks a game. So I think you see just kind of the help that Drew will provide. But with Bowles, I think it's less about, you know, is he going to become a perennial pro bowler? Cause I don't think that that's super likely at this point in his career. You know, he's what, 25, 26 years old. Um, I think he's older than that because he remember he, he had a mission year uh, because he's a member of the Mormon church. I think that Bulls might be a little bit older than that. Oh, he's, he's 28 actually. Yeah. So, I mean, you think even if he, his next deal, which will be somewhere, I would assume, I don't think he's going to be out of the league if he doesn't play in Denver, but will probably be his last. And with Bulls, I think, he has those holding penalty issues, obviously the most in the league over the last three years, and those have to get fixed. But he doesn't let the quarterback get hit. You know, he's not allowed – I think he allowed four sacks last year. Elijah Wilkinson in fewer games allowed 10. Uh, the Broncos, you know, according to some of these advanced statistics, were really good running the ball to the left side of the line of scrimmage behind Bowles and Dalton Reisner. Not as good running the ball to the right side of the line behind Elijah Wilkinson. Plus, Elijah Wilkinson has not played left tackle extensively since at least, you know, starting college. So, and I don't know his high school career, but that's not going to be an easy transition just to jump over to the other side of the line of scrimmage and try to start there all of a sudden. So, you know, I think, you know, maybe Bowles gets helped from the fact that they're talking about having one fewer official on the field, which means, and they're going to concentrate less on the line of scrimmage. Maybe that helps him out a little bit, but hey, I think that announcement from John Elway after the draft that this was an open competition is purely a motivational tactic to say, Garrett, let's get it together a little bit. Let's move forward. But he's going to be out there when they play the Titans. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, another reason why you might want to just keep Bowles there is because Elijah is very valuable as a swing backup kind of guy. You know, uh, somebody with that type of versatility is really crucial in the NFL when you're really only dressing eight linemen for every game. So, you know, uh, both are very valuable at their own spot in their own right. Um, and, you know, I think that it is fair to say, look, Bulls has not had consistency that helps a player. I mean, some people like to compare him to Ryan Ramchek. Bulls obviously was drafted ahead of Ramchek. Ramchek, uh, a more uh, decorated player at this point, but he's been blocking for Drew Brees. You know what I mean? He's had a uh, tremendous running back behind him there, you know, a Camara, and he's had Sean Peaton there every single year of his career. So, I mean, he's had a much more stable environment and I don't want to sound like a Garrett Bowles apologist here, but you know, that I think that that those things matter for a player, you know, and, just like it matters for Dalton Reisner to be a consistent presence next to him there. You know, uh, we've seen a lot of movement even at that left guard position prior to last year. So, you know, having some consistency there, having Dalton Reisner, a player of his caliber there is going to help Bulls. And uh, hopefully a second year with Mike Munchak is going to help him. And even Drew being back there the whole season. Yeah, I mean, I've said this several times over the offseason, Phil. I would be more concerned about the right tackle position than the left tackle position just because we don't know what, you know, when Jawan James is healthy, he's he's been really good. Who knows if that knee injury impacts it at all. 
impacts him at all. Who knows, you know, if he's able to stay healthy. I mean, Vic Fangio said that toward the end of the last year. If there's one thing Garrett's done, it's been available. You know, he is there every week. You know, I think he got a little bit of a hard time a couple of years ago in 2017 when he got carted off with an ankle injury and then was back at practice two days later. But was not know. just carted off, Eric. He was waving to the crowd <laughs> like, uh, I'm okay. I'm going to, I'm going to be. He okay. was okay. So that's, yeah. you know, he was okay. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that he, you know what you're going to get from him. And I think with the addition of Drew Locke, um, you've got Dalton Reiser and what I think is a really solid interior of the line. Maybe Bowles isn't your long-term answer, but I think he's good enough for this year. Yeah. You know, if Jawan James stays healthy, he's not just a good right tackle. He's maybe the best right tackle in football. So. Well, I mean, he's never made a Pro Bowl. Yeah, but he's been paid like he's the best. <laughs> yeah, but we've we've talked about that with, um, you know, some of these other guys that some of that's the market dictating what you're able to do in free agency. But but yes, Juwan James, a high caliber guy when healthy. Graham Glasgow, there are just some ratings out there that you know he's a probably a top five or six right guard in the game. Um, you got to be really into football to rank right guards, I think. Yeah. And, you know, that's uh, when we're not recording this show, that's how we usually spend our time, Eric. Yeah. Like you take left guard, I'll take right guard. I was, to be honest, surprised that you had not watched Elijah Wilkinson's high school team. You know, if I'm being honest. I'll do better. He's probably been running that wing tee, you know, and he's just exactly. uh, Playing in some mud, muddy, long grass fields somewhere. So, right. Could be nice. You got to consider all those things. So, um, but uh, like you mentioned there, Eric, I do think that this offensive line, while it hasn't been, uh, you know, considered great the last uh, several seasons here, I do think that they have probably the best position coach in the league. And through some drafting and some free agent moves here, it could be pretty good this year. No, I agree. I don't think we're going to look at this and say, like, hey, this is the the weakness of this team by any means. I think that they could be pretty good, and especially with a mobile quarterback back there and two Pro Bowl running backs. I think that, uh, you know, this uh, offensive line could get recognized uh, this season and uh, be one of the better ones in the league. For sure. So, all right, Eric, uh, you only have a few more minutes to come back uh, with that trivia question here, but uh, let's go oh. ahead and do some uh, shout outs. Yeah. Shout out Liz Manis. Of course. Shout out Liz Manis. And, uh, it'll be interesting to see what the community department looks like this year in terms of uh, the events the players are allowed to do. Uh, I don't think that there's going to be much, if anything, in person, but maybe some virtual opportunities there for uh, the players to uh, get out in the community and make an impact that way. You know, the Broncos, I don't know if you know this, Eric, are champions in the community, and they will not let coronavirus stop them from uh, making an impact in some young kids' lives. I did know that. I did indeed know that. It's kind of a nice, uh, nice thing to do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at this point in the show, we also like to uh, talk about different ways that uh, members of NZ Nation could get involved in the show. You could leave a uh, voicemail. What's that, uh, what's that number again, Eric? It's 707-NEUTRAL. 707-NEUTRAL. Leave mm-hmm. a voicemail, and uh, we'll play it right here on the show. And we haven't got any in, a, in quite a while, so maybe... Kind of disappointing. Were, yeah. Maybe with the guys returning and people uh, getting excited more so for football, they'll be leaving some voicemails, I think. Let us know what you think about the position battles that are going to be going on in camp. Do you agree with with, uh, the idea that Garrett Bowles will be the starting left tackle? And do you agree with me that Melvin Gordon is going to get the bulk of the carries? Let me know. You can also hit us up on Twitter, at Eric Dalala. For some reason, that's with an A. 
And very uh, confusing. At Phil Milani with a PH. So uh, those are the ways you can get in touch with us. Also, uh, I believe we have a email address if you want to go ahead and email us. Yeah, neutralzoneshow at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on uh, Twitter, the whole collection of the Broncos podcasts. That's, uh, what is that, Audio Zone? What do we call it? Broncos, Broncos Audio. Audio Zone, I believe. Broncos Audio. Broncos Audio at Broncos Bron- Audio. At Broncos Audio. <laughs> we don't even know. Yeah. Whoops. Whoopsies. So uh, those are the ways you can get involved in the show. Also, let us know what you think about our new intro music. Do you like mm. the music? We got some new beats. Eric made those in his basement. <laughs> exactly. His keyboard. No, no, no. Just kidding. Uh, but yeah, let us know what you think. Uh, we want to make this an, an engaging show. So, uh, all right, Eric, I tried to buy you as much time as possible here for you to... Uh, come up with an answer. Hey, I appreciate that. And I think my statistic might be a little out of date, but um, one such team, Phil, is the Cleveland Browns. They have Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, both pro bowlers. That's a good, uh, that's a good point. I, uh, I'm not seeing that there's another one besides the Broncos. Could be, uh, my uh, statistic here was uh, wiped away in an email, but um interesting so you're blaming the email yeah i see see. maybe i got a little ahead of myself because you know mark ingram maybe jk dobbins with the ravens Mm. you know i mean they're uh maybe i was thinking of uh the saints when ingram and uh kamara were both there yeah are they there together yeah, I think that they're yeah, really they were. Yeah, they both made the Pro Bowl there in 17. So yeah. might have uh, mixed that one up. But I, I believe if I'm, unless I'm missing an obvious one by hmm. looking at these Pro Bowl players, I think it's just the Browns and Broncos currently. If uh, you're a. Uh, Somebody will let us know that I'm wrong. Yeah, if you're a student of the game and you know the answer, please let us know. Otherwise, Eric, we're at. We're at liberty of you just making up stuff. <laughs> exactly. So we, can't, yeah. we can't, you know, you hold That's me okay. in check. I'm supposed to hold you in check, but I'm un- unable to do so. Maybe right. Ben Swanson. Yeah. All right. I'll, well, do, uh, I'll, do, I'll make sure I have the answer to the trivia question before yeah. we move forward in the future. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Appreciate it. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, we'll be back next week as we take another step closer to the start of Broncos training camp. Veterans set to report next week, so uh, we'll have a lot more to talk about and uh, maybe some more burning questions heading into uh, the start of the 2020 season. So we'll be back next week. But until then, for Eric Dalala, I am Phil Milani, and you've been listening to The, the Neutral, Neutral Zone. Zone.